Hey, this is Dan Altman, and welcome back to the Smarter Scout podcast, The Why in Analytics. Today it's episode four, and we're going to be talking about expected goals from shot creation as a building block for a model of the game. Last time, we talked about different possible models of the game of football, association football or soccer, and we were looking for one where the building blocks of that model could be broken down not only to evaluate teams and to possibly predict whether teams would be successful in the future, but also to do the same for players. And we ran into trouble using things like goals and shots that weren't always easy to associate with players all over the pitch. But we thought that expected goals showed a little more promise, and they also helped us to incorporate more information about the quality of the actions that were going into the outcomes. So what would a model of the game look like that incorporated expected goals? Well, we know that points from games, whether you win, lose, or draw, are a function of goal difference. If you win, you get three points in most leagues. If you draw, you get one. If you lose, you get zero. So if you have goal difference for a game, you have a direct function to points. That's a sufficient model of the game. Of course, goal difference is something that we see as an artifact of the game, but it doesn't really tell us that much by itself about what happened. So we need to break it down somehow. Well, goal difference can be broken down. First, we can take out the own goals and the penalty goals. They are their own components of goal difference. So goal difference is the sum of own goal difference, penalty goal difference, and all the other goal difference. All right. Now, all the other goal difference is where expected goals come into play because we can rate all those other shots that led to the other goals scored and conceded using expected goals. We use expected goals as a term for the probability of scoring that we estimate using historical data. Now, that other goal difference, all those other goals that aren't own goals and penalty goals, is made up of expected goal difference plus the other stuff that determines whether the expected goals really turn into goals, Okay, whether our estimate of how likely those shots are to turn into goals is on the money or not. And those other things that are part of the remainder can be some function of skills, whether it's finishing or shot stopping, and there could be some noise too. So we can think of points as a function of goal difference overall, or we can think of points as a function of a breakdown of that goal difference, which consists of own goal difference, penalty goal difference, and the other goal difference, which if we break it down further, includes expected goal difference, some function of skills, and some noise. Well, all right, now we've got something. And we could even say that if you believe own goals and penalty goals are pretty noisy, we can lump them in with the noise too. And then we have a simplified model where points are, again, a function of expected goal difference, some other function, a subfunction of skills, and noise. Now we just have three components. Well, now this is something that we can work with. And we think that expected goal difference is probably the most important part of that function. So expected goal difference with some adjustments can be the basis of a complete model of the game. We've taken goal difference, which translated to points, and all we did was break it down. Now, by themselves, expected goal difference doesn't really tell us that much about players. In fact, expected goals, if we measure them shot by shot, don't tell us that much about players, except maybe their ability to get into good shooting positions. And even that can be controversial. There's a long-running debate about how to assess, for example, the expected goals created by a shot that results in another shot on the rebound. We don't always know whether we think that we should use both or just one or the other. And we've said before that the things that lead to a shot 
can really be contributed to by many players all over the pitch. You know, no matter how you adjudicate these arguments, the shooting is still only a small, though important, part of the game. So what are those other actions that go into the creation of a shot from the moment the ball is won or even earlier if you talk about pressure to win the ball? Well, that's exactly why we talk about the players who win the ball in the opposition half. That's why we talk about the playmakers who serve up balls to strikers on a silver platter. We want to appreciate all these other actions that happen before the shot. And we can do that. We can take each shot that we rated in terms of expected goals, and we can give credit for that to every player who contributed to creating that shot, every player who participated in the move from winning the ball all the way until the shot itself. And we're essentially dividing up the pie. The better the shot, the higher the expected goals associated with it, the bigger the pie. So how do we divide the pie? Well, we could use a rule of thumb, the simplest being just to divide it up evenly. If six players were involved and the shot had an expected goals of 0.18, 18% chance estimated to score, then each of them would get 0 0.03, 3%. Right? That's one way to do it. We could also weight the actions based on how important we thought they were. If we thought that one pass was particularly telling, we might give a bit more of the credit to that player. Or we could weight the actions based on how unusual they were or where they occurred on the pitch, thinking, well, it's tougher to do passes in some areas than others. But we have to have a reason for these choices. You know, what will our weighting system reveal and what will it miss? Because it will always miss some things, right? We're, we're making judgment calls here. Now, once we have the weighting system, whereby we're going to divide up this pie for each shot, we can sum up the credits attached to each player from various shots over the course of a game or several games to get an overall sense of his or her contribution. So each player is getting a little slice of all these pies whenever they're involved in a move that leads to a shot, and the size of the pie for each shot is determined by the expected goals estimate for that shot. And then we add them all up to get some sense of how much that player has contributed over the course of a period of time. But as we covered before, very early, we need a denominator, right? We, you know, players play different amounts of minutes. Players are on the ball for different amounts of time. For Smarter Scout, we use minutes in possession, since a player can't easily attack out of possession. Arguably, players are always preparing to attack, but we're going to focus on the time where their team actually has possession. So we take all of those contributions, all those slices of the pie, and we divide them by the minutes that their team was in possession when they were on the pitch. But then we need to compare apples to apples. A fullback might not have as many opportunities to rack up these credits as a striker. So comparing them would really not do the fullback any favors. We got to do fullbacks to fullbacks, strikers to strikers. Well, once we've done that, once we've added up the credits, divided by the right denominator, and then scaled or somehow standardized or benchmarked for different positions and eventually different leagues as we do on Smarter Scout, then we have a model of the game where we've taken a key component of that model, expected goal difference, and used it to rate players in attack. Really, we only focused on the expected goals being scored. Well, what about the other side of that, the other part of goal difference, which is defending? What about the expected goals conceded? The critical insight here is that every attacking action is also an opportunity to defend. And some player or players are responsible for letting it happen. So if a pass gets credited with 0.02 expected goals, then the player who conceded the pass should get the same 0.02 expected goals as a demerit instead of a credit. It's kind of like having Newton's third law of football analytics. For every credit awarded to an attacking action, an equal and opposite demerit is awarded to a defending opportunity. 
Identifying the player or players who bear responsibility for conceding an attacking action is not simple, though. I spent several months of my life creating an algorithm to do it with event data. That's what we use on Smarter Scout because we have event data from all over the world in the same format, and it's really useful for scouting. We can't get that with tracking data, as we discussed in an earlier episode. But even that algorithm that I spent so long on is only accurate about two-thirds of the time. It's essentially guessing the player who's the most relevant defender on every attacking play. And, hey, two-thirds of the time is pretty good when you consider that there are 11 players on the pitch, and it turns out to be good enough to rate players over spells of several games or even better an entire season. There's enough signal in the noise. But it's not perfect. Maybe we could do better with tracking data. Almost certainly, yes, we could. And we might even be able to identify cases where more than one player is at fault and sort of combine the responsibility. It's still not as easy as you might think, though. Just saying, well, let's look for the closest defender to the play, that doesn't cut it. That's not really accurate, because what if the player's facing or running the wrong way? Also, there's a philosophical question at work here. What if a player has a sort of usual defending area that we associate with a position, and the player leaves his area? Is he still responsible for what goes on there? You know, if he went off wandering somewhere and a play came through his area, is that still his fault, even though he's not near to the play? You know, a while back I had a system to rate players' overall contributions to winning more holistically. And in that system, I actually used to treat red-carded players as though they were still on the pitch, because that way they would share the blame for whatever happened after they were sent off. It's the same principle, right? If you leave, it doesn't mean that your, your absence is not important. But then again, what if that player who went off to a different area of the pitch was actually leaving to bail out someone else? Should he be blamed for that? You know, these are judgment calls that we need to make whenever we decide how to assess credit and responsibility. Even if we know why we're making these judgment calls, though, we'll still run up against the shortcomings of our model. For example, let's imagine that a club has an amazing ball-playing central defender who steps up into midfield to start attacks. He's a real attacking force. But the club also has a lackluster forward line that has trouble creating good shots. Well, we might decide to weight all shots equally so that the quality of the shots created by the players up front wouldn't matter. So, you know, all over the league that we're assessing, we're actually not going to look at expected goals. We're just going to weight every shot the same so that if one team is producing better quality shots and the other is producing worse quality shots, it won't necessarily reflect on the players further back on the pitch. But then we'd be breaking down a model of shots, not a model of expected goals. And shots are not a component of goal difference which is the main argument in our function for results from these matches, right? We, we broke down goal difference because goal difference could directly lead to a function of results where we put in goal difference and out came how many points you got from the match. We can't do that with shots. So in other words, knowing how many shots two teams take can tell you something about their chances of winning, but you can't express outcomes as a function of shots unless you consider the shot quality just to be noise. If we don't think that's true, then once again, we're leaving a lot of information on the table that could be useful for rating players and teams. So even if we treated all those shots equally, we'd have trouble. And then again, even if we did that and we weren't concerned about these issues, what if the quantity of shots were lower, not just the quality? In the extreme, let's say no expected goals, no shots are being generated, then that ball-playing central defender is never going to get any credit in our model. Right? He's passing the ball, he's making plays, but if there are no shots being created up front, it 
doesn't matter how we weight them, he's not going to get any credit and will miss a star in the making. So that's why looking at one model, the shot creation expected goals model, is not enough. Even if we figure out how to break it down and evaluate individual players, it's not enough to get a full view of a player's expertise and skills all over the pitch. So that's why next time we're going to discuss another model. It's actually another expected goals model called the ball progression expected goals model that can complement shot creation expected goals, answering some of those questions that shot creation expected goals leaves open. And it actually turns out that when you put both models together, you can learn things that either one on its own wouldn't have told you. So there's going to be a synergistic aspect to this. On Smarter Scout, we actually average the results of these two models to give an overall assessment of a player's attacking output. But we'll see that when we look at the team level especially, we can find interesting things by looking at both models. Now, I don't want to discard shot creation expected goals entirely because it is important. We do use it, and it does tell us something about a team and player's abilities to create good shots, right? Especially when we look at players in the front half of the pitch, we want to say something about their ability to turn opportunities into good shots, whether they are the striker who takes the shot or the passers who precede that. Maybe they're the ones who are making the difference that actually leads to better shots. So we're not discarding it at all, but I think it's important to raise all of these questions so we realize what a model like this can tell us and what it can't. Now, finally, speaking of shots, we have big news at Smarter Scout, which is that we are adding shot maps to the site this week. For our premium and pro users, we will have shot maps separated into shots from open play and shots from dead balls, separated also by position, player, season, league, so you can look at a specific player in a specific position in a specific season, a specific type of shot, and after that you can even turn shots on and off whether they're headers or not headers, goals or not goals, and all the shots are rated by expected goals. So you have a really uh, wonderful tool for fine-tuning your view of a player shooting, and you have expected goals layered right onto that. Now, of course, after listening to this podcast episode, you'll be thinking, yes, but those expected goals don't just come from that, own, that player's own tendencies and his own skills. That's absolutely true. But it's a good starting point because, as we always say, the data help us to ask the right questions. So if you look at one of these shot maps and you see a tendency to take shots in certain positions or that shots in a position that you might not have thought of actually have really high expected goals for this player, you might ask, well, why is he able to create such good opportunities in that space? Is it something about him? Is it something about his teammates? Those are exactly the kinds of questions that we want you to ask. So thanks for listening today. We'll be back next week, as I said, with a discussion of ball progression expected goals and how we put that together with shot creation expected goals. So until then, thanks for listening and take care.